Hello and welcome to Capture Caledonia, the tracks that take us back, the podcast with me, Ewan Petrie. Each week, I'm joined by a guest who tells me all about the places in Scotland that mean the most to them and the memories and stories associated with these particular places. Then we listen to the songs that have become the soundtrack to these wonderful memories. I can't play all the songs in full due to copyright, but I hope that you enjoy the podcast nonetheless. If you are enjoying the podcast, please make sure you subscribe to it and leave us a rating and a review. You can also find us on social media. For Facebook and Instagram, just search Capture Caledonia. And for Twitter, search Capture Cali. Please like and share the pages with all your friends and family to help spread the word of Capture Caledonia and to keep up with the latest news. If you would like to support the podcast to help with future episodes, you can now donate on my Buy Me A Coffee page, which is www.buymeacoffee.com forward slash capture Cali. Any amount, no matter how small, really goes a long way. Thank you so much for your continued support and for listening to this week's episode. You're listening to the tracks that take us back on Capture Caledonia with Ewan Petrie. I'm so excited to welcome Bruce McGregor to the tracks that take us back. Bruce is one of Scotland's most talented and celebrated fiddle players, and he is perhaps best known for being the founding member of multi-award winning group Blazing Fiddles. Described as the Led Zeppelin of the folk world by the Scotsman, Blazing Fiddles have won numerous awards over the years, including the MG Alba Scots Trad Music Awards for Best Live Act, Album of the Year and Folk Band of the Year. Alongside his work as a touring musician, Bruce has also composed countless tracks for TV, radio and the stage. Bruce is also a huge driving force behind inspiring the next generation of traditional musicians. His music school, Blazin in Bewley, has been nurturing new talent since the year 2000 and offers participants the opportunity to partake in week-long courses of workshops, masterclasses, sessions and performances. And it was nominated for Community Project of the Year at the 2019 Scots Trad Music Awards. A man with many strings to his bow, Bruce is also the presenter of Travelling Folk on BBC Radio Scotland, a show that celebrates the very best of folk and roots music from all over the world. Bruce, thank you so much for giving me your time today and welcome to Capture Caledonia. Oh, thank you very much, Ewan. Um, I feel slightly embarrassed by all of that. <laughs> <laughs> you've certainly been a busy man over the years when I look back at everything you've done. Yeah, I think um, apparently it's to do with just... Uh, foolhardiness just jumping into doing things and then just keeping going um a lot of that you know that and for instance you mentioned the, the fiddle school you know blazing and Bealey. the reason for doing that was having been teaching at many other music schools across the the country um i, I did think gosh i'm sure we could do this better for particularly for the teachers because a lot of the times you were going to these things and you were being asked to teach six seven hours and to sometimes to people whose it was their third or fourth choice instrument and they really had no interest being there um so you know I, I thought there must be a better way of of teaching um for for teachers and the people taking part in it so that's how kind of blazing and Bewley took took off so yeah it, it's sometimes you just you have a little inkling of an idea and then 20 years down the line you're still working at it so. <laughs> <laughs> do you know i love in that introduction uh the quote that says that Blazing Fiddles are the Led Zeppelin of the folk world. If that's the case, does that make you the Jimmy Page of the folk world? Well, I am thankfully not the John Bonham, I suppose. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, that always, always made me laugh, that quote, because 
It was written by Tom Morton, um, and he he wrote it up after being, I think, seeing us up in Shetland playing. And I suppose he was alluding to the the different textures that were going on. Um, I'm assuming it was that, and maybe not the excessive partying that also probably <laughs> went on at <laughs> times as well. But uh, yeah, it, it did make me laugh. So I don't know, I don't know who I would be out of Led Zeppelin. Um, that, that band I've always loved, actually. Do you know, it's a, it is a brilliant quote. I loved it when when I read it. And um, just before we discuss your choices for the tracks that take us back, I'd actually like to ask you about a few more of the projects that you've been involved with over the years. And the first one I'd like to speak about because it's uh, happened so recently is the beautiful song that you compose called Doddy's Dream to help raise money for Doddy Weir's My Name's Doddy Foundation. Now, the track features a dream lineup of musicians. So how did this project come about? And, and what was it like piecing together that song with such a phenomenal group of people? Well, it came about, I, the tune was actually composed on Hogmanay. I'd just done a Zoom meeting, uh, a Zoom uh, lesson, sorry, um, in our rather deserted bar in Inverness. And I was sitting there playing about with the fiddle just for a, a few minutes um, after the, the class had finished. It's got a nice acoustic in that room. And that tune just came out straight away, um, which is quite unusual. Normally I'll have a, a couple of bars and then I'll have to go away and work on something and it'll come to me gradually. But a few tunes uh, in my lifetime have come in just a one or and that was one of them. And I wasn't quite sure, you know, what the what the title could be on it, because it felt like almost felt hymn like in one sense when I was playing it slowly. And it felt um, but at the same time, very uplifting as well. And um, I kind of thought, well, it's a new year. We've had such a rotten year. Maybe it could be something about Hogmanay or looking forward to it. And I couldn't think of the right name. And then I was out in January doing the cycling thing for Doddy Aid. Um, there was people cycling, rowing, running, swimming in frozen locks, all sorts of things to raise money for Doddy Weir's charity. And whilst I was up, um, well, the back end of, of Loch Ness, as you come out of Inverness, above doors up there, um, I was out on my bike, skating about in the ice, uh, <laughs> nearly falling off a couple of times. I thought, I'm sure I could be doing something better with my time to raise money for this <laughs> charity and I thought Doddy Weir of course that's that's the man because I mean he has been a an absolute inspiration to to everybody the way he's tackled this um this affliction that he's been given has just been quite amazing you know with such grace and with humor um and unbounded energy you know he, every time you see him you know he looks he's so positive um, despite the fact it is such a horrendous, horrendous disease. So I th suppose the name Doddy's Dream comes from his dream to try and find a cure for MND. And um, we are all part of hopefully trying to help with that. Um, I contacted the rest of the band and had said, do you fancy, you know, recording this? And they all came back and said, yes, absolutely. Let's go for it. And then whilst they were all recording their parts, I actually said, do you mind if we add one or two people? 38 people later, um, <laughs> poor Angus Lyon, our piano player, who's also got a studio, uh, poor Angus was just like, and, and sorry, you've sent me a list of who is coming in now? What are we getting? He was absolutely brilliant though, because the list just grew arms and legs. And I mean, we could have had another 150 people on it without any problem, but uh, um, I think for Angus's sanity, it made sense to, to limit it where we are. So we, I mean, initially 
um, we wanted people that we we knew well. So we got some of the old members from Blazing Fiddles, Alan Henderson and um, uh, Ian Ian McFarlane and his wife Ingrid Henderson took part. And then we spread it out a little bit and we got guys from Brebuch, from Skerry Vore, um involved. And then it was Julie Fowlis was one of the first ones I got in touch with as well. And um, she, herself and Duncan Chisholm, who used to be a member of Blazing Fiddles as well. So they all got on board and then thought, well, we could maybe make the whistle section a bit bigger here. We've got Julie in there, but how about we get Ross Ainsley and Ali Levac? Now, the interesting thing about Ali Levac was he came back with um, not just a, a whistle part in a few minutes, which was beautiful, but he said, oh, I've, I've just added some singing in. Uh, he's just <laughs> kind of dee da dee da dee da diddly kind of thing. And as soon as we put that over to Julie Fowler, she went, oh, great. And so she's added a harmony line in as well. So we let people do what they want, wanted really on the whole thing. We've got Ali Bain and Phil Cunningham involved. Um, then over in America, we've got Alistair Fraser and uh, Natalie Haas. And it was just as simple as emailing them about, you know, nearly every one of them knew who Doddy was and what his um, his cause was. So they were only too delighted to take part in it. And then... Um, I let the, I let Rob Wainwright, the Scottish uh, former Scottish and British Lion, uh, hear the tune, and he said, "Oh, that sounds great. Could we get um, Jerry Douglas on it?" Oh, I don't really. I've interviewed Jerry Douglas, but I don't really know him. But emailed his manager, came back and said, "Absolutely, only too delighted." And then jokingly, one night when having a Zoom meeting with uh, Blazing Fiddles, one of them said, "Why don't you try Nicola Benedetti? Go on, try it." <laughs> so. Again, emailed her manager and she came back saying, absolutely delighted. I'm a huge fan of Blazing Fiddles anyway, so I'll push Nicola into doing this. I don't think Nicola needed any pushing, to be honest. Uh, she's known for her charity work, so she got back in touch and did her piece as well. And that was it. I, um, it was just incredible. I really take my hat off to Angus Lyon for being able to get all the instruments. I mean, you can hear everybody at one stage or another. Um, there's a lovely little line put in by Mosin Amini at one stage, and you can hear all the whistles, and the, the vocals are, are really... That, that's what makes it, I think, the third time around the tune. Um, and then we actually got in touch with Stuart Campbell, who used to play rugby with Doddy Weir in Scotland's second row. Um, I'd met him years ago at a rugby tournament, and he's got a great company that... Uh, mostly does uh, professional videos for the corporate side of um, things. And he said, absolutely, I'll stick it together. I'll do a video for you. Um, so himself and a guy called Jason Clark, who has got genius brewing, uh, the two of them stuck myself and Anna in front of a barrel and explained that the barrel was going to be used as a projection uh, to get everybody in. So it looked like a film um, in behind us. And what a job they did. Absolutely brilliant. It's brilliant. It's a beautiful song. And I think it, it shows the measure of the man, how many people were keen to get involved in this project. And you mentioned it there, a real inspiration, the way that Doddy has dealt with his, you know, MND diagnosis. And I think it would be actually a, a great opportunity for us to listen to this song. So do you mind doing the honours and introducing it for us? Yeah, well, I may as well, I'll do it like a real DJ and say, straight in at number nine this week, as that's the chart. <laughs> that's <laughs> amazing. Chart. It was unbelievable. Uh, I got a message on Sunday morning saying, um, you're above Ollie Murs in the charts. <laughs> I 
I but which charts? They're so difficult to work out. Um, but in the download charts, and uh, it said the official top 40, there was Doddy's Dream with Glazing Fiddles and Friends. So, um, yeah, pretty amazing. <laughs> Here it is, Doddy's Dream.
really is a beautiful track and just everyone go out and download it if you haven't because it is raising money for such a fantastic cause now bruce i think it would be good to move on to your first choice of place today for the tracks that take us back so do you mind revealing the first place that you've chosen and why you've chosen this place i've it's clunes um which is a it's not even a uh, a hamlet there's about three uh, little um crofts up there you head up the back roads to Bewley and up over that way and it'll take you up onto the other side of Loch Ness and um beautiful little area um which overlooks the whole of Loch Ness and that's where I used to go and get my fiddle lessons from Donald Riddle um and I remember going up there as a seven-year-old I just got the fiddle for Christmas and I had no idea how it worked my parents had no idea how it worked so we hadn't even you know worked out that you needed a rosin to go on the bow or anything like that and we went up I remember my dad taking me out to this guy called Donald Riddle an old crofter um, and we couldn't get the car up the road there was so much snow up there and, and I, because I was seven you know the the thing of trudging through snow what for what felt like miles um eventually getting up to this guy's croft and being greeted by this man who had this huge shock of white hair massive big bushy white eyebrows and a cigarette just kind of surgically attached to the bottom of his lip um i'll never forget meeting him and he just had one look at me and my dad explained that the fiddle had come and he wanted me to learn he had one look at me and said all right two wee come back next year <laughs> and that was it <laughs> So uh, I but I did. We we went back up the year after that, and I started lessons with Donald, um, who was an ex-pipe major of the Lovett Scouts during the Second World War. So he was a stickler for things being done absolutely right. You know, the bowing had to be done a certain way. The grace notes went in a certain place, and you had to memorize three hours worth of material before you were allowed to play in public. It wow. really was. It was it was strict. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> It was the other thing about him was he was such a lovely man because, you know, you might not have practiced particularly hard that week and you'd go up and he would know and he would just go, aye, aye, bit sticky, bit sticky. Um, <laughs> uh, we'll do that one again next week as well. So you come back with that. But here's another tune. And he would move you on. So you weren't just dwelling at one piece for ages and ages. Um, I was, I mean, not just, I wasn't just the lucky one, but there's so many people here in the Highlands. Um, Duncan Chisholm also got taught by he was about a year or two older than me so he would all Donald would always tell me about Duncan Chisholm and then obviously I met him in the Strips Bay and Real Society uh, Ian McFarland from Glenfinnan who was in Blazing Fiddles with us as well he used to travel up from Glenfinnan to get a lesson from Donald once a month um, his father had been in the army with him um, Adam Sutherland uh, you know who's a fair bit younger than me but he was taught by Donald as was Sarah Jane Summers um, and that's just, you know, the tip of the iceberg. There was so, so many others. He was absolutely brilliant at teaching youngsters. And I think what really has to be, you know, commended with him as well is he didn't, the Strasbian Real Society, when he was a member of it in the 1920s, was male only. And you look at a picture of the, the Highland Strasbian Real Society in 1980, I would say 70% are female and about 50% are kids. You know, he completely changed the dynamic of it. Um, so just a remarkable teacher. Um, and he composed a lot of fantastic tunes that came out in a book called The Clunes Collection. And the track we're going to hear 
just now is uh, from an album that uh, Ian McFarlane, Duncan Chisholm and myself recorded uh, a few years back now with Johnny Hardy and Brian McAlpine and uh, Rory Campbell and uh, really enjoyed it. We went out on tour uh, telling stories of being taught by Donald and trying to give a little flavour of what he was like as a teacher and we did this album uh, as well. So the, the first track here is called The Snipe, uh, a really nice little tune. I think Ian takes it off. And um, then there's a, there's a lovely 6-8 march and a jig at the end of it. So I hope you enjoy this.
just before we move on to your second choice, what was it like when you first picked up that fiddle? Was it an immediate connection for you or was it something that you grew to love over the years? It certainly wasn't an immediate connection. I do not remember asking for the thing. Um, <laughs> I am pretty certain I asked for a football for Christmas and I got a fiddle. Um, <laughs> and the funny thing was as well, you know, my mum and dad loved country music. And, you know, they were always shouting at me to, oh, listen to this. This is the Hank Williams. And I was going, I don't like that. I love Hank Williams now, but when I was eight or nine years old, that was not for me at all. Um, but... I think with Donald's teaching and as soon as you start getting a little inkling for it that you, you can get a tune out of it and what Donald was always really good at as well was teaching you the history of the tunes you know who wrote them you know what area they came from what time period what the history of that era was all about and then it all starts making sense if you just hear a piece of music and you've got no real background to it it's just a piece of music add a story to it and all of a sudden you know, it connects with an audience. And I think that's always been one of the most important things I, I, I've, I think any of us took from Donald was that the music exists as part of a, a social aspect of our lives. It's not there as a, just a, an art form stuck in a museum or anything. There's a history, there's a culture that is all connected that we try and keep alive. Yeah, Donald sounds like a, a remarkable man. What are your memories as well of... Um growing up in that area what sort of stands out for you from your childhood I think I, my childhood was all about running around outside I mean hmm. our parents would you know I don't think our parents ever saw me you know I, I grew up just outside of town and our parents basically just said get out there come back at lunchtime for your lunch and tea times at five and that was it they didn't seem to care where you disappeared <laughs> to and we were really lucky because we just I've got a great friend to this day that I, I made best friends with in primary one and he lived up on the farm just up the hill from me and we were just never ended building huts out of uh, uh, the farm had a dump up there with old bits of tin and aluminium and stuff like that so we were always building huts at the bottom of this dump or we were excavating the dump to find uh, old bottles and things like that and building rafts to go down the burn and creating dams it was just it was totally idyllic really as a as a kid and I I, re I really feel sorry for kids today that you know so many of them don't don't have that um you know everyone's so worried about their kids hurting themselves we were drinking out of that burn and it was only years <laughs> later I found out that the, the houses around about us all emptied their sewage tanks <laughs> <laughs> uh, we used to guddle for fish in it and fishing yeah. rods out of it as well with our um but we for the immune system you know absolutely absolutely <laughs> uh, i i just absolutely i look back in my childhood with nothing but complete fondness and if we weren't doing that we were playing football you know and just constantly so the fiddle was a strange strange one because it kind of took me away from all of that um i suppose i, I definitely played better in the winter um, when when things were a bit bleaker outside but uh, yeah I think we were just so so fortunate you know members of the the Cubs and then going into the Scouts and just being outside was was so important to us. It's such a beautiful part of Scotland up there and to have that as your sort of playground to go and explore as a child is just brilliant. Um, I think we should move on to your second choice now so where would you like to talk about next and and why have you chosen this place? 
Well, I'm going down to Edinburgh, actually, um, because this was a big change for me. I got to 18, and all the way through school, I had just... Uh, none of my family had ever been to university. Um, it wasn't really on my horizon. I had a vague idea I'd like to be a journalist. Um, I suppose that was going through my head, and or a writer of some sort. And then uh, I got to sixth year in the careers advisor. Oh, in fact, no, I was going to go... I was going to do science because we were, really bizarrely, um, we were Thatcher's children and arts and writing and all that was a load of waffle, according to her. And um, you must be a scientist or a technician or be something useful. And my, I remember my careers advisor going, um, why are you going to do this? Uh, because I was going to go to uh, Aberdeen to, to study physics and chemistry. She said, you get B's and C's in physics and chemistry. You're getting A's in English and history. Um, go and do the thing you're good at. And it was the best piece of advice ever. Because I would I would never have succeeded if I'd gone to Robert Gordon's to do physics and chemistry. <laughs> However, going to study something you're passionate about, which I was, which was history, um, that just changed, changed everything. Um, I did history and politics at Edinburgh University. And eventually it got honed down to by the time I was in fourth year, I was doing Byzantine and medieval Italian history, uh, which was utterly bizarre because I'd never even been to Italy by that stage. But again, <laughs> I followed the, the good tutor. I had a really good teacher. There was only three of us in the class and we did four hours, four hours a week. <laughs> it was a bit of a no brainer for me as, as we went along, because those four hours a week allowed me to fulfill my other passion, which by that stage had completely taken over my life, which was rugby. Um, I started playing rugby up here at the Inverness Royal Academy, um, really loved it, played for Highland under 18s. Then I actually picked Edinburgh University as well because it was the highest placed university for playing rugby. Um, that was another one of the reasons. But what Edinburgh did for me more than anything else, I mean, the, the learning was great, but it was actually just a complete eye opener for this kid from the Highlands. Hmm. I remember I went down, I had a terrible mullet with the kind of 1980s uh, you know that kind of David Coverdale style curly <laughs> mullet kind of thing a sheepskin waistcoat and a denim jacket and I was like how did my parents <laughs> let me go down to Edinburgh looking like that it's got a brilliant awful. image in my head right now <laughs> it's really really bad really bad anyway within about two days I met one of my life another lifelong uh, friend of mine um, uh, one of the coolest guys at, at that time, he had uh, sideburns, cowboy boots, looked really cool. Uh, within a year, his girlfriend had dumped him because I had taken him down to my level. Seemingly. <laughs> 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 and, he, and we just got on great. His, his name's Roddy Dunlop. He's now the, the Lord Advocate uh, um, at the Faculty of Law um, in, in Edinburgh. Very handy man to know, but we're still in in you know great friends and uh, from such different different backgrounds though it was uh, you know he was, came from a, a very trendy uh, Glasgow side and he was this uncouth Highlander who who liked the fiddle and heavy metal which <laughs> we, bonded, we bonded on the heavy metal as well but the great thing about Edinburgh was the the whole community I met um, the, the rugby friends that had developed at that at that time and uh, we went on rugby tours to Zimbabwe, um, four-week tour of Zimbabwe, uh, which I took my fiddle on. So uh, getting the whole lot, everybody singing. 
Scottish songs. And then we went on a four week tour of uh, South America, Argentina and Chile. And I'm still in touch with so many of those guys. Uh, I think once you've been on a tour with a bunch of guys like that, you, you'll always stay friends. And uh, I think that's why Edinburgh, every time I go there, I get really nostalgic. You get the smell of the breweries for a start when you go in. And then, yes. <laughs> you know, I just love that, the, the friendships that we made and the, the nights out we had as a, as a group of guys. It was, it was absolutely fantastic. And I, I was lucky enough to, the other reason for the Doddy's Dream track was um, I got probably as far as I ever could with rugby. I always wanted to play for Scotland, obviously. And I managed to get into the Scottish Universities team and then managed to get into the Scottish Students team, which was a kind of level about that, above that. And Doddy was a member of that team and Andy Nicholl, uh, there was Rowan Shepherd, there was Carl Hogg, people who, who ended up having you know, fairly decent careers for Scotland. And God knows what I was doing. In the, they were all in the first division and Edinburgh University were in the fourth. I have <laughs> no idea who saw me and decided to put me in the squad, but I went for about three or four games. Thankfully, I never got on. They never discovered... <laughs> that I was crap. <laughs> uh, but, you know, it was it was a big thrill for me just even getting that close. And I've got my, my Scotland shirt of some sorts uh, in my wardrobe uh, and look at that fondly once in a while. So, um, but I think there's a realisation uh, that comes to you at one stage when you realise that you're just not cut out for this. And I remember playing against English universities and I played in the front row and I looked at the guy opposite me and his legs... One of his legs was the size of my body, you know, it was, and I was looking at, you know, it was just, I can't compete with that. And he was running around the pitch, you know, knocking everybody out of the way. I was going, I can hardly keep up with this guy. And he's three times the size of me. And I was like, okay, you've just not got the, quite the, the size and, and uh, desire to get to that size. Yeah. So, uh, but great, great time. So the, the tracks are picked as well, was because I think being in Edinburgh, sometimes you got a little bit homesick for the Highlands and uh, the Corries became a kind of a band I would go to listening much to the the disgust of my flatmates at the time, but I would have the Corries on all the time. You know, it just made me feel more Highland for some reason. <laughs> and, uh, you know, the, the Flower of Scotland, I remember standing in the terraces at uh, Murrayfield um, a few times, actually, as a kid, I remember, you know, 16, 17 going down and it kind of grew into our national anthem. It wasn't forced on anybody. It just came about because people sang it um, on the terraces. And I love that about our national anthem. I think that must be the only one that's ever evolved rather than, you know, being put on you by somebody else. Um, so that was, that was a wonderful thing. And I do remember singing Flower of Scotland the day we won the Grand Slam. Um, it's the only year I've actually been to all of the games and what a year to go in 1990, <laughs> the Grand Slam. And I'll never forget David Soule walking out onto that pitch and the kind of hush that came across the, the whole crowd. And then it was just this almighty roar. And oh, what a game. I'll never, ever forget that. Oh, flower of Scotland, you're like again.
I know I'm probably biased, but I don't think there's a better feeling than being in a full Hamden or a full Murrayfield and everyone singing that song. Like, it's oh, definitely yeah. one of the best national anthems out there. And I'm oh, sure other countries must think so. Well, all the Six Nations, uh, all the opposition fans think Flower of Scotland's the best. And yet we still get people in Scotland going, oh, it's a dirge. You're going, what? Oh, I love it. <laughs> oh, I think it's... Abs- the way they've done it now as well, where they do the pipes to begin with, and then they just let the you know the crowd do it a cappella is absolutely wonderful. It's oh, really good. Got the hair standing up on the back of my neck, just thinking about it. What I wouldn't give to be in a in a packed stadium oh, I, right now, belting out I that. I know, I know, <laughs> absolutely. Um, okay, let's move on to your final choice today. Where would you Where would you like to end with talking about? Well, it's really. I mean, I've picked Glenuig, but it could be anywhere in the Highlands. Um, we did the Blazing Fiddles live album in Glenuig Hall. And it just kind of represented, I think, 10 years of utter madness. Um, I had no idea that you could be a professional musician. And Blazing Fiddles was meant to be a one-week tour for the Highland Festival. I was still working at the BBC at the time as a full-time producer. And within a year, the band had just, it just exploded. You know, we were playing, being asked to play at every festival across the UK um we were over in canada representing scotland at the fiddles of the world um festival it was just unbelievable and it was such a laugh i think it was such a laugh because none of us could believe we were getting away with it <laughs> it was you know we we hadn't rehearsed as tight as other bands there was a lot of just raw energy a lot of the time that you know got people into into a euphoric state of some sorts um and it was just great great fun um Every every day was an adventure, but those those tours around the Highlands, you know, we I used to set up the the Highland tours, you know, and it would be going to, you know, you could be in Alapool, you could be in uh, Loch uh, Inver, um, then you could be over in Wick and up in Orkney, and the places you'd go to, it just felt like, you know, a, the bus of us just arriving there and. And having a party, having a Kaylee, and everybody joined in. I remember at one um, one gig up in Liverpool, uh, the halftime break, I went kind of backstage. I'd been doing the CDs, and I came backstage, and nearly every member of the audience was backstage in this. <laughs> there was about 150 people <laughs> stuck in this tiny wee room, all having tea and drams and everything. <laughs> and I have to say, guys, we had, this went on for about 40 minutes, and there were a few people kind of going wonder when the second half is going to start <laughs> everybody in the band was so friendly to the you know what is the crack with people and i think that's what made the band really good as well because you know a very sociable band i think that's putting it mildly um <laughs> and we used to, uh, the, the glenuig experience we'd, we used to do a, a boxing day bonanza uh christmas kitty big uh, gig down there at uh, Glenuig, which was absolutely wonderful. And then we thought, well, why don't we do the live album down there? And uh, we got in, now, what's his name again? Um, oh, we got in this really famous producer. He'd done the Blue Nile and stuff. Oh. <laughs> and loads of Runrig albums. <laughs> Mal- Callum, Mal- Callum Malcolm. And uh, the first night we did the gig and everyone was really nervous. He was recording everything and he listened back and he he kind of said to us, 
um, that's it's not really working. It's not really working. And we just said, right, we're doing two nights recording. Second night, we all had a good drama on us, got up stage there, did exactly what we normally did, warts and all. And he, you could just see him relaxing. He went, that's it. <laughs> so when you listen to the Blazing Fiddles live album, although it's on two nights, every track bar one is taken from the second night. Um, and it just, just shows you, you know, the, the mics and the idea of recording does tense people up an awful lot. Um, and yeah, that, so that's the, the track that I've picked is uh, Murdo of the Moon from that album. And this track, actually, we had our 20th anniversary playing at the concert hall at uh, Celtic Connections a wee while ago. And I remember looking, we had every member of Blazing Fiddles over the years back on stage. And I just remember being on stage, looking across nearly in tears, just so thankful for having been able to play music with such brilliant musicians and such great folk. Uh, and I thought it was great, you know, after all these years, everyone still got on, you know, everybody left for personal reasons of just career choices and things like that. So it was just wonderful to see that, you know, the, the band still had, uh, had a, a love for each other, which was great. And as I say, this, this track uh, nearly broke, nearly brings me to tears every time I play it. What's it like? sitting here now you know reflecting on on this amazing chapter in your life having had the time to sort of look back especially probably over the last year or so where we've not been able to do gigs what what's the sort of overriding feeling when you think back on that time i just keep thinking i've been so lucky i <laughs> just honestly i keep looking at things going this has been incredible i mean we've got a we've got a bar and a wedding venue and some businesses that we do up here and they're they're hard work um constantly you know because it's it's business and I look at the music side of things and I just think that's never been work for me it's always been a joyous great fun thing and it, I've been really really lucky that I've managed to make a living out of it and um, that comes down I think right at the very beginning back to Donald Riddle and having a great teacher to inspire you to play so that it never feels like work it always feels like it's a, a joy I'd say the only downside of that is that when I do start playing, you know, and if I get carried away three or four hours, I've got this thing in the back of my head that, okay, that's my hobby taking up maybe a little bit too much time. And then I think, <laughs> no, I'm meant to be a professional musician. I'm meant to practice that. <laughs> um, I, I think, I mean, I've been smiling all the way through this, just loving the fact that you don't get the chance to sit back and really reflect on, you know, where you've come from and what you've done too often you know that even in the the lockdown year you've been looking forward all the time mm. and i suppose it's very very important to actually just sit back and think gosh enjoy those moments you know all the time that you've you know ever been on a stage in front of a crowd and it's a great gig just think how lucky you are you can say the same if you're standing up there and you're not looking forward to a gig you could just think uh, get, a, get a grip of yourself this is a brilliant life. <laughs> so, yeah, I think um, I think very fortunate. Um, we do work hard, but uh, I think if you work hard with a smile, it never really feels like you're working. I think that's a lovely sentiment uh, to end on. So just before we listen to uh, this final song, I just want to say thank you so much, Bruce, for giving me your time today. It's been so wonderful to hear your stories and uh, and your connection to these amazing places. So thanks for sharing that with me today. Thanks very much, Ewan.
You're listening to the tracks that take us back on Capture Caledonia with Ewan Petrie. Thank you so much for listening to Capture Caledonia, the tracks that take us back. If you're enjoying the podcast, please remember to subscribe and to leave us a rating and a review. Please also go on social media and like and share the pages with all your friends and family. A little reminder that on Facebook and Instagram, just search Capture Caledonia and on Twitter, search Capture Cali. Go on, like, share, post, comment about it and help spread the word of Capture Caledonia. If you want to support the podcast, remember you can go on to my Buy Me A Coffee page, www.buymeacoffee.com forward slash Capture Cali. Any amount that you can afford to donate to support the podcast will really go a long way and help to ensure that we can keep the podcast going in the future. Thank you so much for your continued support and I look forward to seeing you next week.